As an unlicensed doctor, we suggest a prescription for one of our shows. Sign up for our free podcast at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Fake Doctor's Orders. Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. Welcome to Sportsnet Tonight with Elliot Price. Brought to you by Ye Old Orchard Pub. There's a lead pass. In on goal, McDavid. Scores! 3-1 Canada! Here's the one-two pitch from Martinez. Ball hit out into center field. Going back, Marquise Grissom. He's got it! Dennis Martinez has pitched a perfect game. There's a shot. They score! Duclair! 1-0! the 2-1 pitch. Cordero swings. Base hit. The Expos will win. The Expos will win. Cordero with a base hit to win the ball game in the bottom of the ninth inning. The throw is over. Drink it in, Canada. World champions. It's Elliott. Elliott for the touchdown. And now, here's your host, Elliot Price. Price. It's not hard to see Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback ever. Watching Peyton Manning eventually fade into the distance, a champion but a shadow of his former self, you can't help but marvel at Brady. Another trip to the big game. The Patriots there as much because of Brady as anything else. And to think this visit and his first visit from Super Bowl Thirty Nine, and this one's number 51. And can you honestly say you'd rather have Super Bowl, actually Super Bowl Thirty Six? to Super Bowl 51. And can you say you'd rather have Super Bowl 36, Tom, and not this version? Later in the show, Rich Eisen will go through the litany of mostly non-stars that caught balls for Brady over the years that doesn't touch the mostly non-stars that carried the ball. So what is it about Brady that has been so instrumental in one division championship after another? And by the way, he was in Super Bowls 36 and 39. Didn't hurt that he was teamed with football's best ever coach but he almost always makes the right play find the receiver sell the play action throw the ball away read the defense damn he's done it again but for a little of this and a little of that he might have rolled up 10 super bowl championships he has lived the football life of the hated winner can't be a quarterback more disliked unless you're a patriots fan and his friendship with trump hasn't helped but as he pointed out today, if you know someone, it doesn't mean that you agree with everything they say or do. Well, I've held out long enough. Tough to think that any quarterback has accomplished as much for so long while maintaining an MVP performance. It pains me to say Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback ever. There. Didn't hurt that much. Welcome to the show. 
Uh, here we are again. Look, you, you seem so... Look at you. If people could see you, it was like uh, crushed that you had to admit that Brady is the best ever, period. No, I'm crushed that I have to watch him in another Super Bowl. <laughs> And so uh, the only the only good that can come out of this is that he loses another one. Yeah, he should have lost the one two years ago, and it was gifted to him. But I suppose you know he could have won the other two. Yeah, we certainly could have won the uh, the Tyree against the head catch <laughs> game. So I found it interesting that you talked about him as the perennial winner, and he is. He's become that, but. They've drafted won. 199. He was a, I don't want to say a loser, but he was an afterthought at best. He was drafted at once by upon a time. the Montreal Expos. And he's an expert. Fan. You could, yeah. You know. No, no. It's going to be okay. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, Super Bowl in uh, two weeks, and uh, obviously we have a lot of work to do before then. So we'll see. Please, Falcons, I don't really care if you win the game or not. Just make it a game. Last Sunday, I don't know if I watched a whole game between the two of them. You turned off that quickly. What was there to watch at halftime in Atlanta Green Bay? Nothing. Uh, Nothing. True. The game was over. I had no confidence that the even with Aaron Rodgers, it wasn't Aaron Rodgers. I had no confidence that if Rodgers could start bringing the Packers back, that they could actually stop the Falcons when they got the ball back. That that was the whole gist of it. it had nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers and his uh, incapabilities. It had everything to do with Atlanta's offense versus Green Bay's defense. Nothing suggested that at any time they were going to be able to stop that offense. I got to tell you, on Friday I predicted the Falcons were going to win. Predicted they were just my team. I chose partly because of the interview you had you had yesterday with uh, Doctor Fobert. I'm patting myself on the back. <laughs> No one else I, I hate to tell you yeah. that if Dr. Faubert worked with Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay still would have lost. <laughs> well, who knows how, how they may have not, uh, Atlanta would not have put up those numbers. Green Bay's defense could not stop Atlanta's offense, and it wasn't all about Matt Ryan. Anyways, the uh, Canadians underway against your Calgary Flames. Uh, no, I know, no, I know, and I was thinking today, because I was listening uh, to Coach Gullitson, and we'll, we'll hear from him in a minute or so, and I, I remember when they wanted to change the culture, right, and, and that's why they got rid of Bob Hartley, who had such a season with them when they were supposed to be horse crap, mm -hmm. and they were pretty good, and then after whatever, and so the message, and blah, 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 hockey talk, and they decided to replace him, and I was thinking today, you know, so we have a little bit more to work with here, and was that really the right move? It's a tough thing. It's always because we work in the business we work in, uh, we have to have an opinion right away, right? And, and you need information. You need to see how this works and that works, and now, based on what we've seen, and again, it's still small sample because he's a short-time coach of the Calgary Flames, mm -hmm. but right now it doesn't look good. No, I agree. I thought it was a rash decision. After one, the year previous, they make the playoffs on a team that clearly overachieved. They regress based on that the next year, based on making the playoffs. Okay, but they they overachieved. Okay, but if they overachieved, then then this is who they are. Listen, this is a team only a, a couple three years removed I from being bottom feeders. I mean, yeah, this is who they are. I'm obviously disappointed as a fan, but I'm not shocked that they're you know chasing a wild card spot. A rash decision, to, in my opinion, to, to, to fire Hartley and, and hire Gulson. I was never happy about that. We'll talk to uh, Scott Morrison coming up uh, just before 9 o'clock. And we'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more. Our National Hockey League insider, of course, uh, Habs... Uh 
at home tonight against the Flames and nothing doing with 421 left in period one. And we'll talk to Mark Dumont. You know what that means. It means that there'll be plenty of goals early in the second period when <laughs> Dumont joins us because whenever he's on with us, he misses all the goals because he's on with us. Uh, also, uh, basketball, Dwight Walton, what's going down? Last night, a rare night indeed. They played on the same night, and they both lost, Cleveland and Golden State. We'll talk to him about uh, Dion Waiters uh, dropping in the game winner for Miami. He was so cool, man. He, he stood there with his arms folded like, <laughs> I own Miami. Very cool, very cool. We didn't get around to uh, Hazel May's interview with Jose Batista last night, and we'll have to listen to uh, Rich Eisen uh, roll out the litany of crappy receivers. <laughs> that Tom Brady has had to work with over yeah. the years and yet what he has delivered with those players. All right, uh, Grant is not in tonight. Freddie's been working hard, catching up, getting ready for the opening face-off. That's next. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight. I'm Elliot Price. This ain't like when you're at a game and sign up for a credit card just to get the prize and then you immediately cancel the credit card. Because there's no prize when you sign up for our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Uh, sitting in for Grant Robinson, Freddie Iuni. We'll start with a couple of football questions. I love football. Ben Roethlisberger today hinted, yes, hinted. at retirement. Yeah. If you're a Steelers fan, the coach, the GM, are you concerned? Yeah. <laughs> the guy's a gem. Uh, as a football player, he's an idiot, as a human <laughs> being. But he's right. a winner. So what do you do next if uh, you're them? <laughs> you find out if he's serious. Find out what direction he's going in. This is very important. You need to know this as soon as possible. Ben, you need to make up your mind. Ben... Ben, I know we're going to give you some time, but we need to know now. Yeah. What, what are you going to do? Because, obviously, this is the most important position in, in just about any sport, and we need to know what we're going to do going forward. Uh, hello, Dallas! We need a quarterback. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's fascinating because we talked about this in a similar vein last week when we talked about if Brady should have a bad game, should the, should the Patriots move on to Garoppolo? My question is, I wonder... <laughs> Which was stupid. Well, stupid is a stupid does. <laughs> there you go. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they should have a plan already. If they don't... What kind of plan can you have? It's you're, not, it's not an aging quarterback. You've got to have something ready. But, but, but the, the plan involves bringing in someone capable of... But everybody has everybody. The problem is there, there are no outstanding players at this position. There are no people that can step in and be Ben Roethlisberger. It's not like there's a host of, of college running backs that can surprise you and step in and be a guy that can do the job right off the bat. Quarterbacks need time. They need mm -hmm. cultivation. And then you don't even know if you have the right guy. And then you have to end up being lucky. The Dallas Cowboys got lucky. The Oakland Raiders got lucky because you don't know the guy that the Dallas Cowboys have at quarterback they have because the Raiders took the other guy right yeah. uh, Cook was the guy that Dallas wanted but the Raiders took him the pick before and so Cowboys got Dak you don't know uh, in the National Football League and that is not something that you could prepare for because those guys just aren't available you had, you had suggested maybe well, talking I, I, to I Dallas. Ask you, I ask you. Well, so you're saying, oh, they should. How do you prepare for that? Well, what do I you think do as an organization? Because I, because uh, there's only one Tony Romo, yeah. and there's more than one team that wants him. You know what I would do? What, what about them chasing Garoppolo? Brady's not going anywhere. That's you know what? Um, would you do something like that? I, I, no, because you are blinded. By Garoppolo's very short time as a New England Patriot, that's what Kansas. Uh, 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 
in the last 12 years, the New England Patriots have won the AFC East 11 times. Mm -hmm. The year that they didn't win it was the year that Brady was hurt. Okay, and they still had 11 wins, and because of a ridiculousness in National Football League's playoff tie-breaking procedures, they didn't make the playoffs. But Castles led them to that great record, and so Kansas City gave him the money, because that's how he looked in the New England scheme of things. And when he went to Kansas City, he didn't look like that. So I don't know if I'm knocking down New England's door to get Garoppolo. Will he look like that in my system? Not necessarily, but he plays for the best coach in sports, and so they make him look good. Well, Pittsburgh does have a fairly good offense. They Very well, offense. I'm just saying. Do you think it maybe just a simple, is this a simple case of just emotions running high so close no, after No, the guy's victory? 34 years old. He's taken a beating. Okay, anybody that's watched the Pittsburgh Steelers knows that there are few quarterbacks in the National Football League that have been hit as often and as hard as Ben Roethlisberger because he's a macho guy, he's a stay-in-there guy, and he'll stay in there to take the hit to make the play. And he's done that way too many times in his career, and he's watched... He's been around. He's 34 years old. He has tons of teammates that ain't walking like they used to. Mm-hmm. He has tons of teammates that aren't thinking like they used to. Yep. And as you get older, like a boxer, it's only going to get worse. You're going to get slower. You're going to take more hits. And he's seen what happens to professional football players when they take too many hits, which he's probably already taken. Agreed. Moving on. We're sticking with the Steelers, though. Aditi Kinkabwala. You can start again. Aditi Kinkhabwala of the NFL Network reported today that Antonio Brown was seen pouting. I would have gone with uh, some, wherever it is that he works for. <laughs> reporter from Pittsburgh Re- said today. A, a reporter from the NFL Network reported today because that Because no Antonio, one in Montreal knows who this guy is. Fair enough. Reported that Antonio Brown was seen pouting on the sidelines after D'Angelo Williams scored the Steelers' first touchdowns. Taking that... Plus, what would happen with regards to Facebook? Is it time the Steelers cut ties with Antonio Brown? What are you nuts? This is another one of the guys, the best receiver in the National Football League. I'm not, but just like the Dallas Cowboys were supposed to uh, cut ties with Des Bryant because he was acting in a certain way two years ago. Absolutely not. It's, it's just dumb. And how is it that you can tell that some guy standing on the sidelines pouting? Fair you know? He reported it. I'm not saying I, I didn't see anything. I'm just asking you. And I think it was compounded because... Yes, yes. I think, they should, I think they should cut ties with him and trade him to the Raiders. Well, I hope they're listening to you. You'd be a heck of a GM to get. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Uh, did you happen to hear LeBron James's comments after their loss yesterday? I hear everything. Thoughts? What did he say? <laughs> <laughs> Did you not hear it? Yes. So um, he's LeBron James. You know, and, and it's really funny because most people think you are the general manager, LeBron. So <laughs> I don't know why you're not the guy who's calling other general managers to bring players. He wants a playmaker. She's yeah. play. What does that mean? LeBron, you are the playmaker. You're the team. I don't know. Uh, they've lost, what, uh, two out of three or whatever yeah. it is. Last year, right, they fired the coach. That's right. And then went on to win the, the championship. So that's next. He'll start attacking Tyrone Lue next. He's a, he's LeBron. He's not happy. They lost the game. Uh, I thought they were going to win. I also thought they were going to win the other night, the overtime game. We were watching against San Antonio. Easily could have won both games. Come playoff time, those are games they would win. LeBron, shut up and play. Do you think at all that this is a, a, a view into how he sees sort of the end of his career coming up? I mean, he's also aging. Sure. He talked about the season being a grind. Mm-hmm. Talked about the team being too top heavy with he named three players himself, Kevin Love and uh, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. I mean, is this a peek into his psyche? 
No, this is nothing new. This is just frustration. This is nothing new. Just frustration at losing a couple it, of games. If it's not the coach, it's a general manager. It's not the general manager. It's something else. It's it's that uh, Kyrie Irving doesn't uh, has to learn how to be a point guard in the NBA. There's always something. LeBron James, a very smart guy. Okay. Okay. And there's always a method behind his madness. I don't think that he's just running off at the mouth. He's maybe trying to divert attention from this to that. So you know what? It's it's like uh, it's like what uh, what, what the, the Trump government is doing right now. <laughs> what are they doing right what, now? What they're doing right now yeah. is that they're they're going they're like magicians, right? I wanna, yes. The hand is quicker than the eye. Okay. So while they're doing the hey, there were more people than you think were there. They're shutting down over there so that you can talk about that instead of that, and that's what LeBron is doing. That's right. Okay. So he's taking pressure off the team. Yeah, he's, he's, he's taken the, the... Look over here! Don't look there! Look here! Here's what I want you to look at now! Yeah. Well, listen, we, uh, it'd be great. We, we have Dwight Walton coming up later on in the show. We can ask who he thinks, as a playmaker, who, who he thinks Cleveland can go and get. I don't know. Uh, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. Apparently he's, he's available. available. And lastly, Elliot Friedman... Who? Elliot Friedman. Okay. In his blog, 30 Thoughts, yes. sportsnet.ca, you yes. can uh, check it out. I did. Suggested or heard? No, no, no. He didn't suggest that rumors. Anything. Yes, no. These are not rumors. That there are, he was told. He was told. Right. That. Come on. The Canadians. Yes. Had asked for Martin Hansel. Okay. In exchange for uh, McCarron Chef? and two draft oh, picks. McCarron, a first round pick and a conditional. Right. right. Obviously, it didn't happen. Right. If you're the GM, if right. you're Bergevin, are you are you going after Hansel at another price? Are you still are you chasing him? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, is it someone I want? Is it someone you want? It's someone I want. This is not the top six forward we were talking about. It's not necessarily the only guy he's after. Fair enough. If it's someone I want, I'm not giving them that. They didn't really expect to get that. <laughs> I don't think... Do you think Hansel will put them over the top? Every now and then, someone will give you the moon if you ask for it. Uh, fair, listen, I, I, if I'm at Arizona, I'm asking for the moon for Hansel. Your wife married you? Yeah, well, that's, you know, the yeah, real yeah. problem is there is, is what kind of person Careful. is she to have said yes to that? Exactly. <laughs> I get you it. see, she, she bought the, he offered her the moon and she bought it. Uh, it wasn't the moon. Maybe a hill. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Subscribe to our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. No medical exam or health questions will be asked. Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. Hi, Wed. Welcome to the uh, voices portion of our program. Every day we uh, bring you people in the news and what they had to say. First of all, again, Mr. Tennis, I'm very upset. Uh, oh. 3.20-something uh, tomorrow morning. You're getting up for that, right? No, I'm not. I, although, if I wake up and I look at the clock and it says 3-something, I will get out of bed. I will get And it's possible. I've done it before. But Milos Raonic trying to get to another semifinal at a Grand Slam event. And obviously the field has emptied out, but they, there's still names, man. There are names that are still there that may not be as good as Raonic right now. But who knows when he sees these names... You know, you need to get over a hump. And he beat Federer, right? Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, he probably won't see Federer, although 
It could happen, but only in the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got Nadal, and it's Nadal. That's right. right. I don't care how old he is. I don't care how he's playing right now. He's Nadal, and that makes it a very different animal. Yep. A very different animal because of the stature. And you have to uh, be at the point in your career where you believe you are better than him right now. And I, don't, I hope he's there. And that's what his people have been working with him on mm-hmm. for the last year or so. Yep. And so he's finally, body-wise, I know he's had the flu, but body-wise, he said, ah, oh, we don't put a curse on him here. And he's managed to get to this point in this tournament without uh, a groin or a hamstring or a hip or something that all with those legs that he has that always seems to get in his way. And so, again, I started with it's at 3.25 in the morning. No, you're right. Uh, and I think him beating Federer at, in Wimbledon, in Wimbledon, will at least give him the confidence that he can yeah. take these guys on. And well, he's beating Nadal yeah, recently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He should beat him. He's better than him right now. Agreed. And he's over. And this is a surface that he should beat him on no matter what. Yeah. And But you raise the great point. He has to believe he can beat yeah. him in a five-set, at an open, yeah. in a quarterfinal. 14-time major champion looking at you. Hopefully it's all done by the time I get up. Um, Calgary tonight, and we talked about it earlier. If you don't know, Freddie's from Calgary, and so he's a Flames fan. We talked about the coaching situation there. Here's Glenn Gullitson. And uh, the scoring problems for the Calgary Flames. You just have to keep putting pucks in at the net and bodies. And when you get your chances, uh, if you're doing the right thing, they'll start to go in. And that's, uh, you know, you can go back 40 games for us. If we keep doing the right things, things will turn around. Um, and that's what, we, that's what we have to do. And that's what you have to do. And so far tonight, they haven't done it. I think the Canadians, uh, who scored for the Habs? It's Shaw? Uh, it was Shaw, yes. Uh, Shaw from Andrew Ghetto and Petrie. There you go. one nothing Habs against Calgary, and we will talk with Mark Dumont from Habs Eyes on the Prize. Uh, meanwhile, you know, you went into the third period last night. It was a hockey game. You had no goals. Who knew you were going to finish the night with four? Great calls here. I mean, as, as good as Marlowe was, I think the guy calling the goals, uh, you know, he went home, he listened to himself afterwards, and he went, I did a good job, too. Seriously, some great calls here. Listen to this. Patrick Marlowe with a four-goal third period, a very rare thing in the history of the National Hockey League. Marlowe is shot, the tip by Couture, and now Botker. He'll bump it back. Vlasic, they score! Patrick Marlowe, and it's 2-1! Now Marlowe again, working on Weircock, brings it around and scores! Patrick Marlowe, his second of the period, and it's 3-1! And he doesn't get it out first time, but does second time, and here's Marlowe with Pavelski, and a hat-trick for Patrick! Patrick Marlowe, three straight goals, the natty hatty for Patty! Classic, he's got Marlowe in on a breakaway! He scores! That's four in the third for Patrick Marlowe. Come on. The natty <laughs> patty for Patty. Hey, the natural hat trick for Patrick Marlowe. I thought that was pretty good. I like that. That's good. I listened to that and went, yeah, I laughed. Okay. Yeah. Four goals in the third period for the uh, ageless. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, I think he has, what, like 16 on the season right now? Unbelievable. Uh, a lot of people are talking about this. We'll find out how Freddie felt last night when his little Johnny Hockey got run over. Again, the Leafs pressure the puck. Another hit. And it's Gaudreau who's down. 
Johnny Gaudreau down along the boards. Mark Giordano is going to react to that. He's throwing punches with Komarov. Giordano lost his footing. Trying to get back up. Gaudreau still down along the boards, just inside the Calgary blue line. Athletic therapist Kent Kabelka attending to Johnny Gaudreau. And, well, good news is he's up on his feet. Very physical. Big hits. He gets them right on the chin, it looks like to me. It looks as though that's shoulder right onto the chin of Johnny Goodrow. And, of course, he's going down the tunnel towards the Flames dressing room. Yeah, there, there was for me. You know, there, there was no leaving the feet and everything. I understand that. But it for, for me on the replay that I saw, uh, and I didn't get 10 looks at it. I just had a couple at my feet. I thought it was a, a contact to the head. And uh, But we'll see. Um, they'll have better looks at it later. And uh, I, I thought for sure we'd be going on the power play. Looked a little bit worse than it was. But, uh, I mean, it's a little bit smaller guy, too. So I think it was a good hit. I think it was a good hit. I, I mean, and I've had this argument before. If if you do make, like, first contact with the head, regardless of size, I believe it should be the same as a high-sticking penalty, uh, in that maybe you didn't do it on purpose, but it happened, and so you need to be penalized because you have to protect players' heads. But there's sometimes there's nothing you could do. If your shoulder is as big as the other guy's head, and you're going straight ahead without lifting up, I don't know what else you could do. No, I agree. Listen, as, as a Flames fan, I think that it was clearly a shot to the head. He should be suspended. Uh, but as a realist, you're right, Elliot. Look, people are taller and shorter. A shoulder is sometimes going to be at head height. He didn't jump. He didn't leave his feet. He didn't lead with it. He didn't target it in any real way. I think it was one of those unfortunate hits. And uh, it's glad he's, he's playing tonight, so that's positive. All right. Uh, one person here called the Oilers to make the playoffs this year. <clears throat> that would be me. Uh, Jordan Eberle, who has suffered through bad years in Edmonton. 100% more excitement. Um, I think uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot more positive. I think anytime you're winning hockey games, that's, that's what happens. So, um, you know, we, we've enjoyed playing in, in, uh, in a city that loves hockey, and, 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 um, and anytime you're in a playoff spot and, and, uh, and you're trying to bring it back and it hasn't come in a, in a long time, I think uh, fans are getting you know, behind us and excited. I think that's the, the general vibe in, in Edmonton right now. Jordan Eberle. As the Oilers march on. And, I mean, they're knocking on the door of first place uh, in their division. And finally, what happens if you're a cab driver and your favorite player is in the back seat, but you don't know it, and they get you to talk about him? Huh? Not only that, but they film it. All right? Sam Snow is a cab driver in Denver. And John Elway got in his cab. <laughs> number one was Elway, but why was he number one in your mind? He's a great quarterback. Great quarterback. And then let's see. But let, let me say this. No, then no. I would have to I would have to uh, no, I ain't done. And then the second would pick would be I'm, I want to be fair. So you did number one. Okay. And I hate to say it. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. It's going to hurt me to say it. But I'm I'm not speaking of uh, still a fan. I'm thinking be, being frank in with general, you. In general. General. I'll have to put Tom Brady in there. I, 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 even though I can't stand him. But look at his back. Tom Brady. Then I would have to put... I would have to put Ben Rosenberger in there. Nice. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's won a lot. Okay, that's that's a top three. That's, See? That's good. So back So would you know John Elway if you saw him? Elway. I would have Elway. And if you ran into him, would you know who he was? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do me a favor. Why don't you Look turn around? Right there. <laughs> turn around. How you doing, man? Oh, come on, man. You serious? <laughs> Come on, man. It's John Elway. How you, you doing, girl? Damn. I got to take a picture, man. Stay. I got one. 
Seriously, we'll seriously. So I'm serious. When we get out, can we take your picture together, man? You gotta take your shades off. You, oh, you got it. I know what John Elway look like. Hell, come on, man. Damn. Hey, number me. one, John Elway. That was Damn. good you said that. that you know, we would have got out no, of your car and walked. Walk. Yeah. That's John Elway. I like that. Awesome stuff. That's uh, funny. That's John funny. Elway, in your <laughs> cab. Kind of sound like, uh, hurts me to say this, Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger. No, it hurts him to say Tom, Tom Brady. Brady. Seems to hurt a lot That's of people. I know. I said the same thing off the top. That's I thought it was funny. It's <laughs> one of those days. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you never know. You never know. What's uh, You have a, uh, a brush with greatness? Have I? Yeah. Yes, every day. No, uh, I met Mike Vernon once. As a kid, that was uh, okay. that was a big thing for me. All right, had and a couple, no. had a couple of uh, brushes with greatness. Uh, one, uh, I was with uh, I was with Mitch Melnick, and we had gone to see Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, Dire Straits, and we were uh, walking around uh, the Montreal Forum. We walked around the back, and there was Mark Knopfler, oh. who we engaged in conversation. Which was uh, unbelievable. He's just standing there uh, around the trucks where they were loading and whatever, and we went to talk to him. And so there was that. And uh, Do you remember your conversation? Uh, no, uh, Melnick did most of the talking. Uh, and uh, at a golf course, a public golf course in Cincinnati, and I saw the Big O, Oscar Robertson, one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived. Was he just playing? Game. He was just out to for just, a round? Uh, just arriving, getting out, getting ready to play some golf. That's pretty cool. That was very cool. Very cool. Did you want to talk to him? Uh, no. <laughs> I was getting into a cab to go back oh. to the hotel. Unbelievable. Oscar Robertson. Everyone's run into someone, right? Well, I ran into one time. I don't know if any... I, I'm a big fan of a band, Fish. Oh, okay. I ran into a bass player once. as they were, We were in Cincinnati also. They were evacuating the hotel because there was a fire alarm. And we, were, uh, we, we walked down together. Okay, who's the... Uh, the African comedian, African American. Chris Rock. Comedian? Nope. But I saw this summer that I wasn't uh, happy. Oh, JB Smooth. We saw him, my wife and I. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was during the festival a couple years ago, and he was supposed to be on our show, and wasn't. And I saw him like that night, and we're walking past him, and he was with his uh, his troops there. And I decided, here's a guy who looks like he just wants to be in his circle, and so I didn't even uh, let him let him pass. And so that was, uh, but that, that was him. He walked cool. past me there. That's pretty cool. Anyway, that's the way it goes. And, and we get to talk to Mark Dumont here once a week. So looking forward to that. The Habs lead. They're coming back on the ice, which means with Dumont coming on after the update, uh, they're about to score plenty of goals. Or somebody is. And we shall see. This is Sportsnet Tonight. Sitting in for Grant is Freddie Uni. I'll have the update for you in just a moment. I'm Elliot Price. This is CFMB 1280 AM in Montreal.
subscribe to our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Do not settle. Demand. Demand. Sportsnet 590 The Fan on Demand. Price. C'est moi. I'm the guy. There is not any man like him anywhere in the world. You're tuned into Sportsnet tonight. Ding, ding, ding. With Elliot Price. Elliot Price. On 12:80 a.m. Montreal. Oh, the deep burn. Sportsnet tonight. Oh, Elliot Price. Elliot. It's on me. Elliot. I'm the guy. I, 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 I. Time now for. The man who makes sure that everything is going fine and has eyes on the prize, he is Mark Dumont, which means the floodgates are about to open and the goals are about to come. Uh, Canadians with a one nothing lead over the Calgary Flames. How you doing, Monsieur Dumont? Uh, life is good as per usual, Elliot. How are you? That's so good. What is it that makes life so good? I have no complaints. I, you know, I got a roof over my head. I yeah. got food in the fridge yeah. and uh, I got good family. So what okay. else can you ask for? If I were to open your fridge... <laughs> what would I find that you would say that's good? That's bacon. good too. That's good. <laughs> Lots of bacon. I have. I assorted, love bacon. <laughs> yeah, I have assorted various <laughs> versions of bacon: thick cut, smoked, uh, honey maple. What? Name it, and I got it. All right. So you never know what you got. I, I do not hand out a list of questions prior uh, to our uh, um, conversations on the radio, and so that's why. Question is What happened there? I heard somebody talking. All right. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, it was uh, in Elliot Friedman's 30 questions today. Um, the Canadians were interested in Hansel, and they were told apparently it would uh, cost them um, their first-round choice from this year, Sergachev, a first-round choice, and another draft choice. And obviously that was the first asking price. So um, what what... What happens next? Well, I, I think that was really just the Coyotes. I mean, they're one of the only teams that are dedicated to be sellers at this point, right? So I think that was them just setting the bar as incredibly high as they could. You know, it, it does them good if everyone in the media says there's not a lot of good forwards out there buying teams will have to pay a premium so i think they're playing into that but uh i can't see marc bergevin moving a guy like sergachev or even mccarran who they're really high on for a rental uh if he does make a move elliot i expect it to be a fairly big one and for a player that has term that he can control moving forward uh i just don't see him going out and spending decent assets for a player that might play uh, four or eight games in the playoffs, you know. So, okay, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you seem to be a guy who uh, does his homework. So, who do you see being that guy that fits into your criteria? Well, interestingly, uh, everyone talks about forwards. I'd really like to see the Canadians pick up a top four defenseman. And, and I know that's such a cliche to say in the NHL, but uh, I think they need more help moving the puck up the ice and, and maybe alleviate a little bit of that pressure on a guy like Weber or a guy like Petrie. Uh, right now, Weber takes all the tough minutes. Petrie moves the puck. And I think both of them could stand to use 
uh, a quality player to basically eat up those minutes going down the stretch. You can't have Shea Weber playing 28, 29 minutes every game and expect him to be fresh in the playoffs. So I would aim for a guy like Shattenkirk, uh, to tell you the truth, and maybe see if the Canadians could uh, strengthen their blue line moving forward. Because right now, I think they've got a fairly healthy crop of forwards once they're all playing. And really, I, I see them needing help uh, on the back end. And, and that's not to say Alexi Emlin isn't a first-pairing guy, but I don't think you make it to the Stanley Cup playoffs with Alexi Emlin playing half your shifts, right? 30 minutes a night. So uh, they could definitely use some help there. Uh, Mark, Freddie here. Earlier today, I saw... Why did I tell you? Good Short-handed <laughs> goal. Thomas Placanitz. And oh, uh, the Montreal Canadiens lead uh, 2 to nothing. Intercepted a pass. Bad pass by your flames there, Freddie. And took it all the way down the right side. I forget who was on his left. Decoy. And I think he beat him uh, five holes. So two nothing Habs. Go on, please continue. Mark is a uh, lucky charm for the Habs. Mark, sorry, you <laughs> tweeted earlier today. You you tweeted a poll question asking, I guess, the public that if they were Mark Bergevin, would they yeah. trade Mikhail Sergachev straight up for Matt Duchesne? We talked a lot about top six forwards on this program. What do you think? Would you make that trade? Uh, I think I would strongly consider it, Freddie. And the reason why is because I see the Canadians with a limited window here to make a run for the Stanley Cup. I think they really have two to three years. So if you're serious about it, if you're all in, then absolutely I would trade a guy like Sergachev for a player like Duchesne. He's got term, he's reasonably young, and he's a legitimate number one center in my opinion. Uh, in the last five years, he's a top 20 center in the NHL for points per 60. So this guy produces, he would be immediate help. The Canadians still need a, a top six centerman because no matter how good Dano has been, I, I, I think that he'll eventually make it to maybe being a second-line center, but I don't think we can rely on him to play that role perfectly down the stretch. So uh, I, I would be willing to consider it as long as the player coming back is of Duchesne's ilk in the sense that he's not a rental, he's reasonably young, and you know he's going to make an impact. Because you have to be serious here. Carey Price is resigned in two years. This team is going to look very different. So, uh, it, it, and whatever happens, Freddie, I think we'll get an indication from management exactly where they think they are right now. If they're serious about going all in, mm. then you're going to see a guy like Mikhail Sergachev move. All right. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the Canadians' future right now, and their last two draft choices in Juleson and Sergachev are a defensive pairing for a very, very long time, although you never really know with kids how they're going to end up. But... Who's going to be the Canadians' defenseman when everybody gets old all at the same time here? Yeah, and that's a really good question, uh, especially because Sergeyev, in my opinion, has not just top pairing potential. He has number one defenseman potential. Right. So uh, at this point, if you're going to move a guy like him, you are more or less throwing in a towel for the future and saying this, it's all about right now, and we know that we're sacrificing futures. Uh, it, once you move Sergachev out of this organization, the Canadians no longer have a blue-chip prospect. So, yeah, moving him means the future is bleak. 
but right now, even with Zergachev in the mix, I'm not sure you can say the future's bright. So it's really about weighing where the Canadians are at with their long-term plan. And and I think, Elliot, I honestly think Marc Bergevin is ready to pull the trigger on a big deal. All right. Um, you also have to ask yourself, I know, it, it gives you a chance, right? But right now... The Canadians are not better than Washington, and they're not better than no. Pittsburgh, and they're probably no. not better than Minnesota, and maybe they're not better than Columbus, I don't know. But does that trade make them, or put them, uh, in comparison with those other teams, if you made that deal, what else would you have to do to put yourself in the conversation where you can legitimately say they're as good as the best team in the National Hockey League and have a chance to win the Stanley Cup? Well, I think center depth is obviously yeah. a, a key there. And not just center depth, Elliot. I think we need to talk about center talent. The Canadians have decent depth, but they're obviously missing that second impactful centerman. And, and adding a guy like Matt Shane means so much balance amongst the fours in terms of who's anchoring both those first, uh, those top six line, uh, top six players. So you almost get into a poor man's Malkin Crosby situation where you can really spread the wealth. Uh, so I, I, I think the Canadians would absolutely start to match up with teams like Washington uh, if you add a guy like Matt Deschain. Problem is, I don't know if they match up uh, in their bottom six, so they don't have as much talent there. But, you know, the, the issue in the NHL is obviously you're always going to have a hole in your roster. So where do you want to have that hole? Right? right now, the Canadians, I think, really are lacking that second impact center. And Shane would solve a lot of problems. But obviously, you know, you're not going to get teams excited with guys like Jolson. Dangling a, a Jolson in a first round pick won't do it. So that's why Mikhail Sergachev's name comes into play. He's, he's really the only prospect that I think will make uh, GMs raise their eyebrow and say, hey, let's sacrifice our good player now for the potential down the road. Hey, if you make that trade, do you have enough cap room to fit into Shane? No. No, you absolutely do not, and uh, you would have to force the Avalanche to uh, take back some salary. Yeah, like David Dayarnet. <laughs> no, yeah, seriously, you're laughing. That's who, that, that's who someone has to take. Well, hold on, Mark. What about someone like Landeskog? Would he would he fit the bill? Uh, yeah, I guess so. The issue is I don't think they're quite intent on moving him. Well, from what I hear, Freddie, they're not necessarily as intent on moving Landeskog uh, compared to Matt Deschain. I think Landeskog is probably the better overall player if you're looking at the defensive side of it. And if you're going to invest a guy like Sergachev, I think you'd be better off getting a guy like Landeskog back. But I don't think he's on the table. And if you're going to reach that level uh, for a guy that's responsible in both ends of the rink and still puts up a good amount of points, I think you have to ante up from Sergachev. And I don't know how much, how many more assets the Canadians have left to ante up. I am very disappointed. All right. Great talking with you. All right. Have a good day, guys. All right. It's me, isn't it? This is where the sound is coming from. It's coming from me. (laughs) It's the Australian Open. There we go. Is it 3.30 in the morning already? I don't know, but their website makes too much noise. And it's connected to my music. So if it's going at the same time, that's what we're hearing. That's what I heard a note when Mark came on and then uh, turned it down. So it was gone, but that's where it was coming from. Now it's gone. And now you have the music. And great talking to Mark. And the Canadians only scored one goal. One goal. Although the Flames did have two power plays. <laughs> Seriously. And the Canadians had two breakaways yeah. during uh, the time where Mark was with us. All right. Uh, Scott Morrison is next. All of those other hockey questions uh, that we had coming up, including uh, no punishment or the Kamarov hit on... 
Johnny Hockey, of which we had uh, differing opinions. All right. Did you have that opinion because you were a Flames no, fan? No, no, no. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I was uh, just given the Homer answer where anytime a hit like that happens to your team, of course, it's the worst hit in the history. But no, I, I agree with you. It was, it was clean. All right. So we will talk to uh, Scott Morrison. That's coming up next. Basketball with Dwight Walton at the top of the hour. You're listening to Sportsnet tonight with Elliot Price. at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher and we'll send you a free subscription for Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand, absolutely free. What a great turnout. Thank you all for being here and welcome to Sportsnet Tonight. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Shut up, listen, and learn. Every weeknight at 8 p.m. I proclaim this the summer of... Elliot. Gotta get to George to say the winter. The winter of Elliot. Get uh, Jason <laughs> Alexander on the phone. Done. Tell him Done. we need to change our promo. Or Daniel Yorio, who does all kinds of voice. And so maybe he does. Maybe that wasn't actually Jason Alexander. I, I think maybe that, that was, was Daniel Yorio. If you ask me, that was Daniel. Because you never know. Right. Uh, Scott Morrison uh, from Sportsnet coming up. There's the executive producer of uh, Hockey Night in Canada. And uh, Dwight Walton to talk some basketball. And uh, then we will hear uh, uh, the interview. Uh, we didn't get a chance to run last night. We just ran into a... It was busy. Uh, Hazel May's interview with the Jose Batista up front and personal. Uh, some questions and answers that you want to hear if you're a baseball fan. By the way, uh, Blue Jays uh, signed a backup catcher today, uh, the guy with the most uh, letters on the back of his uniform, Saul Tolomacchio. <laughs> That's great. Uh, signs as a backup catcher with the Blue Jays. And then uh, from the Rich Eisen show today, uh, a litany of crappy receivers that Tom Brady has worked with over the years. I mean, he has had maybe three, two, three guys that you could say are outstanding receivers over the years. You know who was his leading receiver the, the last time he was in the Super Bowl? Two years ago? Wasn't He's Edelman? in jail. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's the last time. All right, uh, time to talk some hockey. It's Scott Morrison uh, from Hockey Night in Canada from Sportsnet. How you doing, Scott? I hate to think what he's catching in jail right now. So. <laughs> Story for another day, I suppose. Yeah, yeah and uh, some very colorful answers, I'm sure. But, yes. Uh, so there's there's Tom Brady again. It is unbelievable. The guy's unbelievable. I hate him, but he's unbelievable. It, it's, oh, he's absolutely brilliant. Him, him and Belichick are absolutely brilliant. They make everybody around them that much better, and that's the true measure of a great player. It's not just being uh, able to excel yourself, but raising the games of the people playing around you, and that's been their trademark for how many years now? And, and I, I was mentioning earlier on, I mean, usually by now, guys are starting to wind down. And I wondered aloud, you know, the, the Brady that took the, the uh, Patriots to Super Bowl 36, this guy's better, I think. Uh, in Super Bowl 51, if I had to choose which guy I wanted to lead my team in this year's Super Bowl, I think I want this guy. Yeah, he's probably not as athletic, and that's probably not a bad thing, <clears throat> but a whole lot smarter. And a whole lot more experience. So uh, the fact that his body has been able to hold up, and thanks to Roger Goodell for giving him a few games <laughs> off earlier in the season, yeah. he'll be well-rested at, <clears throat> at this time of year. But uh, 
No, he just he's older and wiser, but uh, the body has pretty much maintained itself, and then he's not putting himself in vulnerable positions. He started to get hit a little bit late in that game the other day, but yep. uh, mm-hmm. you know, by and large, he plays it smart, and he's got a, a tremendous uh, offensive line in front of him. All right, uh, we watched last night uh, Leafs again looking uh, looking very good uh, facing the Flames, who are not looking very good. So there was a couple of things that came out of the game. One of them was the hit from Kamaroff on uh, Johnny Gaudreau, and uh, you know it's it's a very difficult thing because it's going to happen where a guy who just skates, in my estimation, skates straight ahead, and if you're big and he's small, that's going to happen. What are you supposed to do with these things? Well, I think you've got to exercise judgment. And, you know, fortunately, there wasn't a serious injury on the play. But when you watch it, I mean, Komarov, he doesn't launch. He doesn't charge. He doesn't throw his elbow or his upper body into the air, you know, to make the head the principal point of contact. To your point, it was a bigger body hitting a smaller body. At the last second, uh, when you slow it down, you can see that Goudreau, he uh, gets him on, finally gets him on the radar, and he actually gets his stick up and gets uh, Komarov in the face, and then the stick bounces back and gets him in the face. So who knows how much damage that inflicted on top of the hit itself. But, you know, you've got to accept that it's a, a physical game and there are bigger and smaller bodies, and the smaller guy can't be standing there admiring passes. And I think that might have been a case where, uh, because it was a power play that Goudreau just relaxed a little bit and thought, okay, you know, there's not going to be physical pressure. Nobody throws body checks on on a penalty kill, but uh, sometimes it's going to happen, and you better be prepared for it. So I, I thought the call was correct, and uh, and just a good thing that uh, uh, that there were no uh, there was no injury afterwards, and uh, you know, and then you saw you know Komarov get attacked later with. An actual hit to the head that was principal point of contact with a, a forearm or a shiver or whatever you want to call it from Chason. And so, kind of ironic how that plays itself out. Uh, if the playoffs started today, the Calgary Flames would actually be uh, a playoff team. And yet, uh, they're kind of moseying along, you know, one of this and one of that. And you know, I wondered at the time when Bob Hartley was let go uh, after he'd had a good season, then they, you know, so much of that. And they replaced him. And I thought at the time, you know, they wanted a, a, a new voice. And I thought, you know, man, the guy did so much and so little. And so, what do you think? Uh, how's Gullitson doing? And what did you think of the move at the time? Well, I wasn't a big fan of it because I thought Hartley did a terrific job with with not much and a lot of some young players that uh, he showed confidence in and I thought really mentored. Uh, there was nights when he sat down, good bro, but he didn't make it punishment. He made it a learning experience and made it a very responsible environment from that perspective. And, and, and I thought he did a tremendous job with what they had. When you looked at it at the time and especially looking back, you know, I'm not an analytics guy, but there's are numbers that you have to look at, and they were defying the odds with their third period comebacks and uh, having to score a lot of goals to get in and having to have great special teams to survive. And you know, guys had career years, uh, especially some of their journeymen that weren't going to replicate that. And then, from a management point of view, you've got to find a way uh, to replace those guys. One of the great things that excuse me, Glenn Sather was able to do over the years with the Oilers. Sure, he won with the cast of superstars, but every year he turned over the bottom half of that lineup and brought guys in who were fresh and still had a good year in them. And and those players, over the course of the season, especially in a playoff run, helped to make a difference and and take the heat off the stars on on certain nights. And, uh, 
you know, that's a difficult thing to do. And I, I think right now, maybe more than anything, is that they just need a save. I mean, they're just not getting quality goaltending from either goaltender. And we know how fine the line is between winning and losing in this league. And it's one save here. It's one non-save there. And that's where they are right now. They've not played well in their end, but they've not been getting great, great saves. And, you know, he didn't hang them as being bad goals on Elliott last night, but he needed to stop one or two of them. Scott, Freddie here. Um, speaking of the Flames, is Brad Treleving safe? We know his contract is up at the end of the season. It hasn't been renewed or extended yet. I think he's the only NHL general manager that's without right. an extension. Is he safe with the Flames? Well, that's a great question. I know Elliot Friedman last week suggested that uh, he wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't back. So clearly that you've gone this late in the season uh, with him operating without a contract suggests that there's more at play than uh you know just waiting to a quote-unquote appropriate time to get it done that's it makes you think that uh, there's a lot of thinking going on on both sides so uh is he safe i wouldn't say 100 percent no uh, by any stretch of the imagination Switching gears, uh, switching teams anyways, um, Luke Fox on Sportsnet.ca published an article that suggested maybe Ken Hitchcock won't last the year and Mike Yo will take over earlier. Do you see this happening at all? Uh, yeah, I could. I mean, that's a team that's, you know, they've, <clears throat> excuse me, retooled a little bit. They got younger in some areas, got rid of some of their veteran presence, but they're still within their, uh, you know, their prime years of, having to contend and having to win, and they were able to make a couple of big steps last spring. Uh, so if they were to go into some form of a free fall, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if they made the move sooner than later. And having said that, it wouldn't surprise me if we see uh, Hitch coaching somewhere next season or shortly <laughs> thereafter. I don't think he can walk away right now, but he may surprise us, but I don't see it. All right, uh, a couple of questions with the Blues before we let you go. Obviously, Jake Allen has not been the answer, and it's not like they let Elliott go and he'd have been better off there because he's not playing very well for Calgary. Um, and uh, is there a problem with, you mentioned Hitchcock, and the guys know. He's not going to be there next year. It's like he's a lame duck guy, only he's not getting fired here. I, I don't know if that has anything to do with what's up with the St. Louis Blues, although their goaltending really is subpar. Yeah, I think it comes down to that. that there's a lot of pressure on that kid. And, uh, you know, he, <clears throat> he had some great moments previously, and he had some struggles. And uh, he's still maturing as a goaltender. And, uh, as I say, a lot of pressure on him. I don't think I don't think players quit on coaches per se, but um, sometimes in different play can creep into your game. But I I can't imagine for a moment, given the window of, uh, of opportunity that exists for the Blues, uh, and knowing if there is a dislike for Ken Hitchcock, that the players would be hitting the accelerator to try and get him out now and, and make that change. I think you. You've gone this far, right it through to the end, and, and hopefully a successful playoff run, and then everything will take care of itself. To, to cash the chips in now, Just uh, I just don't see that, and, and I don't see that being a part of uh, most players' DNA. I agree with you. Uh, thanks for the conversation. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Right, it's Scott Morrison. By the way, I, I had lunch uh, with uh, John Shannon today, and we talked about that exact thing, oh. and uh, about uh, players quitting on, and I don't believe 
the players have too much at stake, the people watching them, and, and doing their best because their asses are on the line each and every game that they consciously ever quit on a coach. I just I just don't buy it. John was of the same mind, and then there's Scott was uh, as well. There's a hundred, hundreds of players looking for work in the NHL. Thousands if. So Yeah, but there are stars that aren't going to be looking for work. If they quit, then... But I don't believe that. By the way, it just occurred to me yeah. that the St. Louis Blues coaching situation is a lot like the whole Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien Tonight Show fiasco that happened. Maybe it's just, you know, coming out now. Did they win the Stanley Cup? That year, I don't, I don't recall. Who? Uh, Jay Leno or? Oh, no, God. I can't believe I have to explain that joke to you. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, we've got Dwight Walton coming up. We'll talk basketball. The Raptors and a little bit of a tailspin, and uh, a rare night over the last three years, anyway, that both Cleveland and Golden State lost on the same night. We'll talk that and a whole bunch more. This is Sportsnet tonight with Elliot Price. We've got an update coming up with Fred I. As an unlicensed doctor, we suggest a prescription for one of our shows. Sign up for our free podcast at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Fake doctor's orders. Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. It's very nice because, I mean, here it is. Uh, it's almost February, and so if you're a fan of basketball, now is when it just starts to get interesting. I know uh, my boy is a big fan of the Gonzaga Bulldogs, and they are the last of the undefeated in college basketball. And, of course, uh, now is when the NBA starts getting interesting. Dwight Walton, how are you? Good night, Elliot. How are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good. It was a rare night in the National Basketball Association. Um, they, I believe, I don't I remember the exact numbers. I think over the last few years, they have played 110 times on the same night. And I think that they have both lost uh, five times, Cleveland and Golden State. And that, that happened last night very different ways. Um, Dion Waiters, talk about a guy. Uh, so calm, and I'm listening to the announcers on both sides, and they can't believe this guy is so calm and cavalier, and, and then the dagger, and then he folded his arms like, I own this town. And then if you, if you look at his teammates, it's like, what are you doing? No, 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 good shot. And that's, that, that has basically summed up Dion Waiters' career. Listen, it's, it's, it's been kind of bad over the last couple of years for the Cleveland Cavaliers in terms of draft choices. And I, I don't think it's not a fault of their own, but when you get drafted number one by a franchise as Anthony Bennett did, Canada's Anthony Bennett, and uh, being drafted fourth overall that, as Dion Waiters was, 
there's expectations that were unrealistic for both of those players. Uh, Deion Waiters was a, was a very good basketball player at Syracuse, was known for his offensive prowess, but he's, he's, a, he's not a guy that makes teammates better. But uh, fast-forwarding it to last night, uh, he had his moment. Uh, had a chance to to put the dagger, if you will, against Golden State. Uh, has had a pretty good couple of game stretch here, uh, culminating with his 33 point performance last night and the game winning three, as you mentioned, to where he he did the run DMC pose after he made the shot. And uh, the Miami Heat, although the back end of the Eastern Conference is anybody can make the make the playoffs at this point, I think a win like that for the Miami Heat could catapult them maybe to possibly make the play, making the playoffs down the road here. All right, so uh, look, Golden State and Cleveland and whatever, what has you excited? Watching the National Basketball Association, what are you going, wow, and I didn't expect to wow. So what's got your attention that surprised you? Uh, what has my attention is Russell Westbrook, literally every night wanting to be the best basketball player that he can be. Uh, we we, we kind of had a, an inkling uh, that it could be possible for a player to average a triple-double over the course of a season. You just didn't think it would be possible because 82, I don't think people understand how, how many games 82 truly is to to want to be the best that you can be on a night in night out basis i know these professional athletes uh their job is to keep their, their body in shape as much as they can uh but to, to the exertion that russell westbrook has to put out on a night in night out basis to to do this uh it has been has been a joy to watch to have his team in playoff position. Let's, let's face it. They're not going to win the Western Conference, but they've made it interesting. We, uh, and the, the reality is that all of us want to see the trilogy. We all want to see Golden State versus Cleveland the third time around. And all of us want to see all cards on deck, all hands on deck. No suspensions, no injuries. We want to see both teams at full strength um, uh, come, come June. So we could have a, a real, real uh, champion. The, the, the last couple of years, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving have been hurt for the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Draymond Green suspension in Game 5. Andrew Boca getting hurt in Game 5. Uh, Andre Iguodala's back going out for Games 6 and 7. He did play, but of course, it's always going to be that. Was he 100%? Was Steph Curry 100% uh, in that final series? All those questions... We'll, we'll basically be questions, and we do. We just want. Uh, that's what I'm anticipating for the, for the end of this season. We all want to see both Golden State and Cleveland get to the final, both his uh, injury free, all hands on deck, so we can finally put this debate to rest. Who really, really has been the NBA champion or the best team over the past three seasons? So those are the two things, Elliot. I think seeing Russell Westbrook going for a triple double. Uh, on a night-in, night-out basis, and anticipating, although uh, there has been some very, very good storylines in the NBA, we all fully expect to see Golden State and Cleveland in the finals in June. Dwight, Freddie here. You just spoke about the difficulty of an 82-game season, and last night LeBron James spoke about needing a playmaker because the season is such a grind, because they're so top-heavy in Cleveland. What does Cleveland have to do what are they chasing who do they need 
to ensure that they not only will get to the finals, but, but win, win for the second year in a row? Well, I'll say that that's, I'm glad you asked that. And, and listen, of course, we're in the dog days of the NBA season. We're approaching the halfway mark, the all, the all-star break, uh, if you will. And if you, if you listen closely to, to LeBron James's post game, uh, press con, um, his words last night, those words weren't talking about the Toronto Raptors, the Boston Celtics, the San Antonio Spurs, the LA Clippers, or the Houston Rockets. Those were words about we need to, to, to match the Golden State Warriors. That's who LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers are worried about. And as I've said on many occasions, the reason why LeBron James is concerned, he's not afraid, but concerned about playing against the Warriors in a seven-game series is that the Warriors can have two of their top four players on the floor at all times. And all four of those players can make plays for themselves and for others. Right now, if you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, they basically have two players who can make plays uh, for, uh, for themselves and for others. And the other players are strictly role players. And what's, what's tough about what's going on with Cleveland, yes, they have the best player in the world in LeBron James. They have one of the best offensive players in the world in Kyrie Irving. But you can't play them all the time, which is why we've all suspected that LeBron James's minutes would be cut down. Yet I believe he's either leading the league right now in minutes played or he's in the top three. And you can't have that on a player who's in his 14th season in the NBA. And he may be 32 years old, years of age in terms of age, but in terms of, of mileage on his body, he's about 35 years old. And listen, he keeps himself in, in, in tremendous shape. And he's been injury-free for the, for, for the vast majority of his career. So he's done a remarkable job at that. But you can only do so much. When you're playing over 100 games a year and getting to the finals seven years in a row probably, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wear on your body, which is why LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers have been asking for somebody to take the ball-handling responsibilities off of, of LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. So that's why you hear him uh, being frustrated, saying th- certain things. And the reason why this time, because he's asked for, 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 the, for pretty much most of the season, but the reason why this is getting headlines is because he used a couple of expletives uh, in, his, in his post-game presser last night. Uh, they need a playmaker. They want somebody to, to relieve their duties, especially off the bench. Um, it's not going to be just easy to acquire that, but they are going to look. They're going to go on the waiver wire. I know that Jordan Crawford's out there. Nate Robinson's out there. Jared Jack is out there. Grievous Vasquez. Somebody of that ilk. It doesn't have to be a point guard, but they want somebody who can, who can play make, make plays for themselves, and make the rest of their teammates better. They'll find somebody. It'll just take some time. Oh, please, LeBron James. <laughs> You'll always have LeBron James. If I'm yelling, I'm Toronto. I'm Lowry. I'm DeRozan. I'm saying, get me somebody so I can compete <laughs> with that man. And, and, and that's the issue. It, is, it does sound like he's, he's, he's asking for more help. And I know uh, for all the LeBron James haters out there, they're, they're, they're feeding off of this. And we have to understand... The Cleveland Cavaliers went through the same thing last January. And the GM of the Cavs, David Griffin, is on record saying that the Cavalier players 
can't stand prosperity. They seem to thrive in adversity. And it worked last season. And I think LeBron James is trying to stoke that fire once again. He's trying to see if it works. He's basically calling out his, his, his front office and his players saying, listen, are you guys complacent with one championship? Or do you want to win some more? Also, LeBron James, as I mentioned earlier, he is 32. He knows his window for greatness is closing. And he has a sense of urgency as to where he wants the, the front office of the Cavaliers to do everything in their power to surround them with the talent that is needed to, to help win a championship. He knows the Warriors are out there. He knows the Warriors are averaging 118 points per game in the regular season. We all know that the playoff season is a much different animal than the regular season. Teams fly in, not prepared to play against certain teams. And before you know it, the games are over in the first quarter. In the playoffs, coaches and scouts make their money uh, to, to scout and to break down the weaknesses of the opposing teams and, and, and players. So we know that the playoffs are different. But at the same time, when you're watching your rival, and yes, LeBron James, the Golden State Warriors are the Cavaliers' rival, and it is whether he likes it or not, you know how dangerous that team could be when it comes to scoring the basketball. And all of a sudden, the Golden State Warriors are the number one team pretty much across the board in all the defensive, important defensive categories as well. So he knows that the Warriors are a problem, and he wants to keep up with them, and he wants to make sure that the Cavalier players, the front office, and the president, um, Dan Gilbert, knows that he's trying to win, and he knows it's the Warriors who he has to contend with, not only for this season, but seasons to come. But it's the Raptors that need the player. Dwight, what do they do? How do they catch up to LeBron, even before LeBron gets somebody else? Well, here's the thing with the Raptors. Um, and I believe they need to make a move to show their fan base and their players, talking about Masai Ujiri, that there is a sense of urgency there, that they're trying to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love in their prime. That's That, that should be their sole focus right now. Or you can look at the flip side. Is LeBron James slowing down? Uh, is his window of opportunity going to end in a couple of years? Of course. Do the, Ra do, the, do, the, do the Raptors stay the course, keep their core players, and just wait till LeBron James and the Cavaliers slow down? There's always that other side. But I believe that the Raptors, they have a, a small window here. I don't think they can beat the Cavs in a seven-game series, but it's up to the Raptor organization to show their fan base that they are trying to improve their team. Because, Elliot, you and I know that the Raptors, as currently constructed, they may be able to win a game or two, but they can't beat the Cavaliers four times right. in seven days. Not only can, can they not beat the, the, the Cavaliers, they have to be concerned about the Boston Celtics and a team, a sneaky team out there that no one is talking about. Of course, they have to make the playoffs, but if the Milwaukee Bucks oh. can get can get Chris Middleton back in the fold, along with Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's going to be a first time All Star this year, and Jabari Parker, those type that type of team right there can give the Raptors issues in the playoffs. So the Raptors, although they have to improve themselves against their other rivals, of course they're trying to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I definitely believe they need to make a move. They got to get somebody else who's a proven scorer, a playmaker, besides DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, if they want to have a serious competitive chance against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I love you, big man. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, listen, you know how it is. When I start talking basketball, I can go on and on and on and on. So it is what it is. But it, it, we are getting to the, to the best time of the year, as you said. It is February. It's, it's, we're approaching February. Um, the, the NCAA tournament's coming up. The All-Star break is coming up. But this is it's time for the finish line. We're going to see great basketball as the, as the year goes on. But, of course, you and I are looking forward to the, to the NC2A tournament and the playoffs in April. Gonzaga good enough? They've done this to us before, Elliot. <laughs> they're, 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 they're under, yeah. And I know, I know your son, Miles, loves, loves Gonzaga. Believe me, I know this. They're the only undefeated team in the, in the NC2A right now. But we've been down this road before. we got to see Gonzaga get to a, to a Final Four before we can, all of us can buy into it. Are they going to be in the tournament? Of course they are. But they have to prove us wrong and this time get further than they've ever gotten. And let's get to a Final Four. Thank you, Dwight Walton. My pleasure, guys. Have a great night. Carry on. Former Canadian Olympian uh, Dwight Walton joins us every Tuesday night to talk basketball. Hopefully for Dwight's sake, uh, a Canadian team gets uh, back to the Olympics and does some damage one of these days. Uh, you may or may not know that Dwight is still involved with Basketball Canada. Uh, talks with uh, Mr. Nash on a uh, semi-regular basis, and uh, he's in, a, in an advisory role. At least the men's. The women's made the best of the, the Olympics. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't just want them there. No, that's true. I know. I just wanted to, everyone else to know that that happened. But the, the thing is, for the women, that's the best they can do. Our men have to be convinced that's the best they can do, but they're all following their NBA dreams, and so they can't come because of insurance, and they can't come because of injury, and they can't come because of contract, and they can't come because uh, they played here and there and the other yeah. time, and that's not acceptable. We need everybody on the same page playing for the country so that we can be proud of our basketball-playing uh, nation, and so kids can see them uh, all together, it's it's one thing when you're watching Jamal Murray there, or or Corey Joseph there, or uh, uh, Tristan Thompson there, or or you know Kelly Olnick there. Mm -hmm. But to see them all together, to see them all playing at the same time with the Canadian flag on them, uh, I think this would uh, raise the country up a couple of notches as far as making us a basketball nation. And it kills me, it kills me uh, to watch the Olympics and know the talent that we have in this country and not being represented as we should. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. It, uh, it's inspirational to watch players, oh, Canadian that, players. That speech was inspirational. That was inspirational. Wow. But in general, I gave it everything. You, but that wasn't, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Kids watching other Canadians, you know, someone from Oakville, someone from Moose yep. Jaw, who can make it to the Olympics. Oh, that's the Olympics. It's I the agree. same thing with the hockey. You know, same thing with the w women's hockey and, and volleyball and, and whatever it and is. And I gotta tell you, tennis is doing it right now. Yeah. We have Milos Raonic and Eugenie Bouchard I understand. doing something. But, but and that again is watching one person at a time. I wish that tennis was a six-player Davis Cup. It's Davis Cup. Yeah, is coming I'm up forward and, to and that. Beat Spain and Roddick's not coming. What's that? Roddick's not coming. Roundish? Yeah, he's scheduled to go. No, he said no. Did he change his mind? In the last 24 hours. Because in the last 24 hours, he also said he was coming. I know, and then he said he wasn't coming, uh, unless he changes it back. We shall see. Got an update uh, coming up, and then uh, the interview we promised last night, we promised today. Today we keep our promises. It's Jose Batista with Hazel May. Maybe.
This ain't like when you're at a game and sign up for a credit card just to get the prize and then you immediately cancel the credit card. Because there's no prize when you sign up for our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet tonight with your host Elliot Price, right here on 1280 AM Montreal. What do you mean I'm not an expert? I'm Elliot Price. That's uh, Freddie Uni, Grant Robinson. Uh, we're expecting him back tomorrow. Yes, we're expecting Grant back tomorrow. Um, in just a moment, uh, the interview that uh, Hazel May from Sportsnet did with Jose Batista. Uh, up close and personal. Uh, tomorrow night, we will not have Arpin Basu. He will join us on Thursday. We hope to have Andrew Berkshire move into his spot as we continue with our hockey half hours. John Shannon will uh, join us to complete the hockey half hour, and he'll talk all about uh, his smoke meat from Lester's because we went there for lunch today. So they'll do that. He seemed quite impressed, as he should be, with uh, Lester's deli. Um, what else did I want to say? Uh, also coming up uh, this week... As usual, Ryan Dixon on Thursday night and um, Kyle Bukowskis on Friday. All right? How am I doing? That's right. Good, good. That's exactly it. Who am I missing? <laughs> you are missing. Hold on here. Who am I missing? Uh, I've, I'm, it's New coming. guy. Yes, exactly. I got it right here. Rory. Rory Boylan. R- Rory Boylan on Friday. That's it. Those are our hockey people the rest of the week. And, of course, uh, uh, with the Pro Bowl coming up this week... <laughs> And the skills competition, we wouldn't want to ignore that. And maybe something bigger will happen in football because DK will join us Thursday and Friday as he, has, as he does every Monday, Thursday, Friday to take care of the National Football League. All right, uh, the interview that we promised now, Jose Batista with Sportsnet's Hazel May. Enjoy. Jose, congratulations. As a free agent going into the winter, you earn the right to test the market. As you look back at what happened, what did you think of the whole experience? Was it something that you thought it would be emotionally? Um, did you find it a stressful time for you and your family? Well, I think it, it was definitely different than what I expected, but not in a bad way. Um, it's, it's stressful to a certain degree. I think uh, anything in life where there's some sort of uncertainty, especially when it's something as important as where you're going to live, where you're going to work, um, and where you're going to play the sport you love, there's, it's going to be a little bit stressful. But uh, ultimately, uh, I ended up getting um, my wish, coming back here, and, and hopefully uh, we can make it a, a great three years or whatever might, the future might hold. I know you're active on social media. You have to have seen Blue Jays fans literally pleading and begging the organization and Rogers Communications to bring you back. As a veteran that's been around for so long, what does that fan adoration and support mean to you at this point of your career? It's huge. It's hard to explain and kind of describe with words, but uh, it's a great feeling. Um, knowing that you've enjoyed success, that you've been a part of, of an organization for, for a number of years, gone through ups and downs, and the fans have been there all along, and, and to know that they respect and support you as much as I feel like they do with me, it's, it's a great feeling, and um, it's hard to, 
to figure out a way to kind of um, make them feel the same. Um, but I'm going to try in every way, any way that I can. You may have heard Ken Rosenthal call this reunion a marriage of convenience. You needed the Jays. The Jays certainly needed you. As you look back, how would you characterize your journey to get to this point? Um, you know, it's. I, I think no matter what the route, what route you take, and and how you get there. Spoken like a good outfielder. <laughs> really, it doesn't really matter as long as as. You know, you're happy, your family's happy, you're in the position where you want to be and, and the organization wants you and I felt that all along. It's, it's a win-win. Um, maybe the, the realization that it, it might happen might not, have, might not have been there early on, mm -hmm. but the desire was always there and that's the important part. You know, Mark Trumbo cranked 47 home runs and just re-signed with the team. Um, did the free agent market surprise you at all and how it all unfolded? It did a little bit, but um, you know it happens from time to time. The markets not always develop uh, the same way every single year. Um, sometimes they're stronger for different types of players, and sometimes um, they're stronger earlier than later in the off season. Only time will tell when people start analyzing. Once some time passes by, and people will be able to make of this off season and how slow the market has been, you know, and, and kind of figure that out uh, why it, why it happened that way. I listened to part of your press conference and someone had asked you about Dan Duquette's comments and I remember a conversation with Derek Jeter and he said that if you get booed or not liked by the opposition's fans, that means you're a pretty darn good player. I told the agent, I said, we're not interested. Our fans do not like your player. You said that you really? Said that? I told the agent that, yeah. Our fans do not like Jose Batista and rightly so. He's one of the rivals in the division. When you heard a general manager come out and say something like that, and everybody is certainly entitled to their opinion, what was your reaction? I thought it was a little odd, but, you know, um, and it was a little bit um, hard to avoid because it was kind of picked up everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I'll let that be what it is. Um, I can't be too concerned about, you know, one person's opinion. I think baseball involves a whole group of people much larger than that and um, what I try to do is go out there and play hard every single day and help my team win games hopefully that that lets people know who I am and, and hopefully the majority of people who create an opinion about me use that as a frame of reference and not necessarily just the words of one person. Well, What do you think the biggest misconception is about Jose Batista? I don't know. I mean, I don't think there are many misconceptions. I think I've had a great relationship with the fans and with the media all my career. Last year was a little bit different, mm. but hopefully that was a blip in, um, in the radar. There's no denying you are one of the most prolific and dangerous hitters over the past seven or eight years. Um, as you get older, at 36, uh, not a spring chicken in baseball terms, and I always tell in my interviews I'd love to be 29 every year, but age is age. So. Is it more challenging now, Jose, mentally, to get yourself prepared um, as you go into another season? I don't think so. I don't think age has anything to do with it. There's always challenges and different things that you have to deal with in order to be ready every single day. Um, but as long as you pay attention to your body, pay attention to the league and um, what you are required to, to be on top of to be successful every single day um, and keep making adjustments and, you know, be good with your preparation and not neglect anything. Mm. I think uh, as an individual, every player can adjust um, pretty well um, 
you know, even in the later years of their careers. Ross told us that he'd like to see you play the majority of your time in right field, but like last year, you're going to play some first and maybe DH. Um, does that pose more of a challenge for you as you get older? Because even though you, you keep yourself in tremendous physical shape, as you get older, switching positions, does that do anything mentally for you as far as more of a challenge? Um, I don't think so. I mean, ideally, everybody would like to remain in one place and have that peace of mind where you don't have to worry about, you know, approaching defense in a different way every single day but I'm open to whatever the future might bring I'm confident about my ability as an outfielder and I let my playing speak for itself um, and I'll take it from there And it took my breath And now I think you love me And it scares me to death Cause now I lie awake and wonder I worry, I think about losing you I don't care what you say Maybe I was happy or blue I don't care what you say Maybe I was happy blue See what I did there, right? Eh? Maybe I was happier blue. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Your team sucks, eh? Oh, they stink. Oh, my God. It was, uh, how did last night finish up? Because I know they were at 4 nothing at one point. 4 nothing. Oh, my God. They have now given up, but 4 nothing here now. Yeah, 4 nothing last night. 7 goals against the Oilers. 15 goals in 3 games. What was the score against the Oilers? 7-3. 15-3. But they've been outscored 8 nothing the last two nights. Yeah. Uh, car scores for the Canadians off a nice feed by Mitchell. And the Canadians have a 4 nothing lead uh, with plenty of time in the third period to tack on. <laughs> Uh, and uh, then they'll have, what, one more game before the All-Star break, and I think they can smell it. It's a team, uh, not one of the teams that has had their five days off yet. Uh, so they have a favorable schedule in the second half of the season, and they've managed to get through uh, the tough part here with the injuries and with all the games and all that. And so this has uh, this has been good for them, and they lead 4 nothing. All right, so uh, there you go. There's the interview with Hazel May and uh, Jose Batista. Told you about, uh, I heard it earlier today, and I went, ah, oh, we have to have that. So for the Rich Eisen Show, coming up next, he will run down, okay, the litany of non-star receivers that Tom Brady has had to work with since Super Bowl 36, and this is Super Bowl 51. That's coming up next on Sportsnet Tonight with Elliot Press. Forget it if it takes all night, you know I never needed nothing like I ever needed knowing I Subscribe to our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. No medical exam or health questions will be asked. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. I, um, I, thought, I thought this was interesting. Uh, did their homework and uh, wanting to point out just how amazing um, Tom Brady has been with what he's had to work with. And considering the changing over of receivers over the years... You really have to listen to the rundown of the guys that have been there or the stars that haven't been there. Here's conversation today from the Rich Eisen Show. Super Bowl 36, he strolls into the Superdome as that young, uh, fresh-faced kid. Here are the top four receivers in the game against the Rams. They're named Troy Brown, J.R. Redmond, Jermaine Wiggins. Remember him? I do. Tight end Jermaine Wiggins? Yep. And good old David Patton. David Patton caught a touchdown. Wide receiver, Super Bowl 36. Win. Two years later, Super Bowl 38. Dion Branch, 
Troy Brown, David Givens, Daniel Graham were his top four wide receivers. Big in that tight game. end from Colorado. Okay. When Deion Branch, if I'm not mistaken, was the MVP of that Super, Super Bowl. Bowl MVP. Yeah, Again. signed a huge contract with the Seahawks, flamed out, and came back. Right. He did eventually, but Deion Branch was back the next year they in New England. They, he was still they, there. Then they traded him. Still for there. The first okay. Super Bowl Thirty Nine. Here are his top four wide receivers: Deion Branch, David Givens, Corey Dillon. Ah. Was third. 1,600 yards rushing that year. Third, but in this game, they used him out of the backfield. Kevin Falk. So good. These are the top four wide receivers of the first three. These are the three of the four of that stretch that he won three in his first four seasons. Okay? Then Super Bowl Forty Two comes, and we all know that he had that winning streak coming into the game. 18 in a row. As a matter of fact... That Super Bowl still stands the test of time as the longest winning streaks of any teams to come in. Combined, 21. New England at 18. The Giants, as we all know, won three playoff games in a row after losing Week 17 to New to England. Patriots, That's yeah. the largest winning streak combined of the teams in Super Bowl history. And uh, the longest winning streak we've seen ever. And the only one that we've seen come close to it is the one we're about to see since. 15 in a row. Falcons have won six in a row. New England's won nine in a row going into this game. So you got two hot teams coming in. Anyway, Super Bowl 42, here are his top four wide receivers in that game. Wes Welker was number one in that game. Here we go. Now we're beginning to notice some names. Kevin Falk, Randy Moss. Would you believe? He's pretty good. What do you think his numbers were in that game, though? He was his third most prolific receiver in the game. I'm going to go six for 55. That's just a complete guess. What do you think? In the Super Bowl? In the Super Bowl against the Giants. He had the touchdown to put them up. He probably had about 80 yards. He had five catches for a mere 62, which is why Eli and the Giants were still in the game. He didn't go off. And then number four, Dante Stallworth. Keep those four in mind. Welker, Falk, Moss, Stallworth. Maybe the best of the all group. I would say that definitely. Well, hold on. There's three more groups to come. Oh, Two more right. Super Bowl appearances and then this year's group. Super Bowl 46, here we go. This is the one that they lost to the Giants again. The top receiver was Aaron Hernandez that day. Wow, forget about that. Number two was Wes Welker. Number three, Danny Woodhead. Before the return of Deion Branch in his second stint after washing out, minus Tom Brady and the warm embrace of the Patriot organization. What did Tyquan Underwood do in that game? Yeah, he was cut just before, sir. Oh, the night before. Mm -hmm. That's right. If you're wondering, Gronk, who was injured in that game, had just two catches for 26 yards in that Super Bowl. Yeah, he was mostly a decoy. Super Bowl 49. Here we go. This was the win. Do you remember who the... T just, it was just two years ago. Do you remember who the top receiver in that game was? This is the game in which Brady set a record throwing a touchdown pass to four different receivers. This one didn't catch a touchdown in the game. But he was the leading receiver in the game. Would you care to guess who it is? It's somebody out of the backfield, isn't it? Brockman? You you guess for the Chris Command Center. Man, man. Law's on it. Law's sniffing it out. He's warm. He's red hot. It's Brandon Bolden. Shane Vereen oh, had Shane 11 Vereen. catches in that game. That's right. He had a because there was argument for him to be the MVP. Shane Vereen, 11 catches. Wow. And then it goes Julian Edelman, Gronk, Amendola, and Brandon LaFell. All four of those guys caught a touchdown pass. You. Now here comes the receiving crew. Here's the top four receivers for the New England Patriots, who, by the way, 
at 30 points a clip since week five, Tom Brady's return. It's the second best offense in the NFL, passed only by Atlanta. You ready for this one? Here you go. Julian Edelman, we knew that. Here are the next four on the list. James White is number two. Great year. Martellus Bennett, number three. Last night's hero, Hogan. Well done. You see how it went? Yep. Chris Hogan. And then Malcolm Mitchell. Apropos, uh, Rory Gallagher's big guns. So that was go. really cool. That's uh, amazing, isn't it? I, I, it just goes to show what kind of player, what kind of coach New England has. I mean, it's unbelievable. Half those names you don't even, you've never even heard of. Guaranteed, no one's even heard of them. Hey, hey, let's speak for yourself. I've never heard of them. There you go. All right, uh, let's take care of the National Hockey League and the fantasy update. We got games, four, six, eight, ten games in the National Hockey League tonight. The Canadians have four goals because they missed some chances. <laughs> Shaw just missed a breakaway. Uh, Shaw from Andrigetto and Petrie, a shorthanded goal. Tomlis Plikanets, unassisted, his seventh of the year. Alexander Rajulov. With his 11th on the power play from Beaulieu and Weber. And then Daniel Carr gets his second of the year from Tory Mitchell. 18 shots, four goals against Chad Johnson. 27 shots and saves for Monsieur Carey Price. Detroit and Boston are in overtime right now, tied at three. For Boston, Miller with his first, Marchand with his 18th and 19th of the season. Schaller and Moore with assists, as well as Bergeron and Krug. For Detroit, Athanasiu with his 11th, Green with his 9th, and Tatar with his 11th. I'm going to send you home, and that's all you're going to say. All the way home, and then an Athanasiu. Athanasiu. Yeah. Bless me. <laughs> Green and Cronwall with assists on Anathasiu. Oh, my, oh goodness. my God. No, you're uh, going to go home and say it. <laughs> uh, Zetterberg with two assists as well as Nyquist for Detroit. Boy, Zetterberg and Nyquist. So easy to say. <laughs> all right, uh, Chicago 2, Lightning 1. Who's hot? Because you crapped all over him, eh? Look out, Jonathan Taze. Worst season ever. And now he has, what, six points in his last five periods. Uh, goal and three assists the other night. Chicago, so he's been in on every Chicago goal of the, over the last two games. Uh, Hawks with a 2-1 lead over Tampa Bay. Taves from Ponick and Hartman. And after Tampa Bay tied it up, Boyle at the end of period one from Phil Pula. It was uh, Duncan Keith from Taves and the Breadman, Panarin. Oh, tomorrow they have a new, uh, I think a new podcast or a new show in Chicago. Uh -huh. It's a soup and a sandwich. Uh, Campbell and Panarin. Hey, soup and the bread man. I know. That's hilarious. I know. That's okay, uh, goaltenders tonight in that one. Uh, Vasilevsky, 19 shots, two goals against. 18 shots, one goal from the kid from Shattagee, uh, Corey Crawford. 
Uh, final in New Jersey, LA 3, New Jersey 1. Kopitar with his 5th, Pearson with his 15th, and Martinez with his 7th. Assists for LA, Carter with 2, Doughty with 1, Setaguchi with 1, Gabrick was and Shore with 1. And responding for New Jersey, Quincy with his 4th from Camilleri and Wood. Budai with 24 saves. Schneider, Corey Schneider, 3 goals on 12 shots before being pulled. I to 2 1 Minnesota over Dallas. They are halfway through that hockey game. There is one more resident of Pominville. Jason with his eighth unassisted. Uh, Miko Koivu is 14th of the year on the power play from Nina Ryder and Grand Lund. And uh, Tyler Sagan is 17th from Roussel and Spezza. Uh, the goaltenders in that one, Dubnik, one goal on 16 shots, and Lettinen, two on 16 shots. St. Louis, three. Pittsburgh, none. Uh, Pittsburgh, zero. It's none. a final. Got none. none. Got nothing. Nada. Pareko with his third from Perel and Berglund. Reeves with his third. And Upshaw with his fifth from Perel. Carter Hutton, 36 saves for the shutout yeah, for St. Louis. San Jose, two, and Winnipeg, two. That's because it's, it's not the third period yet, so... Um, uh, Patrick Marlowe hasn't started scoring yet. <laughs> Four in a third period last night. Brent Burns, his 21st of the... He's a defenseman. I think he's like seven points off the scoring lead, by the way. Uh, 21 goals. This on the power play from Thornton and Couture. Uh, Winnipeg tied it up. Brian Little from Bufuglian and Morrissey. And uh, Logan Couture put... San Jose ahead from Vlasic and Bodker, and then Cop from Bufflin and Wheeler, and uh, that tied the game at two. D- Dell <laughs> and uh, just up and pa- Pavlik. Sorry, Pavlik. Yeah, usually two goaltenders. <laughs> <laughs> Pasternak just scored his twentieth from Krejci. Uh, Buffalo, uh, Boston wins 4-3 over Detroit. In overtime. In overtime. Well, Ottawa's up 3-0 in the third over Washington. Kelly with his thir- uh, third goal of the uh, of the season shorthanded from Pyatt. Ryan with his 11th from Clayson and Brassard. Smith with his 12th from the power play from one of Elliott's favorite players, Zingle. Zingle! And Weidman and Michael Condon. Zingle, Zingle, Currently has 23 goal. saves in the shutout. Uh, Islanders 4 and Columbus 2. Where are we in this one? Looks like this uh, is a final. It's a final score. Foligno from Wenberg and Murray put Columbus up 1-0. In the second period, Islanders took the lead, and they took the lead for good. Bailey from Tavares, and then Kuhleman from Tavares and DeHaan. That put the Islanders up 3-1, and Brock Nelson in the third period. I got a lot of goals here. I got too many goals. What's the deal? <laughs> that put uh, the Islanders up 2-1. to one. All right. Brock Nelson to put them up 3-1, his 10th from uh, Pelich and Letty, and then Shimera, his 10th, uh, pretty much put it away. Kem Atkinson scored late, and the Islanders win it by a score of 4-2. Uh, changing goal, Bobrovsky, get out of here. Four goals on 24 shots, and the winner, Grice. Uh, he allowed two goals on 23 shots. And it's the second intermission in Nashville. Buffalo and Nashville tied 2-2. Forsberg with his 15th from John Crock and Erwin Gergensen. John Crock? John Crock. How would you pronounce J-R-N-K-R-O-K? John Crock. Well, he was a hitter. He was a, a, a rotund hitter <laughs> for the Philadelphia Phillies and the San Diego Padres. Well, there you go. Uh, McLeod with his third from Weber for Nashville. For Buffalo, Gergensen his sixth from Kane and Franson. And Eichel with his 11th. Eichel, Eichel, Eichel. Eichel, Franson, and Bogosian. There are now 27 shots for Buffalo, 30 for Nashville. That's a, there's a lot of shots going on at the end of the second uh, in that game. Who's this guy of which you speak? Who, uh... 
Jarncrock? Where, where is that? It's the first goal. He, he assisted Forsberg's first goal in Nashville. Okay. I can't oh, see I him. see. That's all one name. His name is Callie. Callie Jarncrock? Yeah. His first name is, is Callie. Okay. His last name is, is Jarncrock. Yeah. It's all one name. What do you mean? It's like, what is it? Uh, like a Nugent Hopkins? No, it's all one word. How do they spell it on your uh, page? I see. I didn't see the first name. I just see Jarncrock. No, his first name is Callie. Oh, his a, name is Callie Jarncrock. That's a beautiful name. Or Jarncrock. Or I don't know I which letters Jarncrock. are not pronounced. <laughs> hey, look, that's the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Grant Robinson will be back tomorrow. That was Freddie Uni. I'm Elliot Price. Canadian score again! Their fifth goal of the night. I think it's a two-goal night for Radulov. Uh, our thanks uh, to the people who joined us tonight. Who did we have, you ask? We had Scott Morrison. We had... Mark Dumont. Mark Dumont. And we had Dwight Walton. And we have eight, seven, six... Five, four. Catch the podcast on sportsnet.ca. Two, one, bye.